Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. What's good, mi gente? This is your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to the one and only platform, Hello Latino. Today, I'm talking to the homie, Lester Larios, mi amigo nicaragüense, my fellow first-gen Latino in tech. The list goes on. Lester is an LA native with years of experience in higher education, nonprofit organizations, community development, and more. Son to immigrant parents, the oldest of siblings and cousins, the unofficial lawyer, event planner, advocate, etc. Lester knows the challenges and resilience of navigating a world where you don't know what you don't know and you figure it out as you go. Ooh, I'm not a rapper though. Specifically, Lester is passionate about men's mental health and issues, empowering others, and inspiring black and brown men and communities to thrive. Ojalá que disfruten esta conversación, y'all. Y'all, give a warm welcome to Lester. He is first time pod- on a podcast, first time first podcast time on a guest. Podcast, yeah. All right. We love to see it. Lester, <laughs> I am so excited that you're here and I've been impatiently waiting for this moment because the first conversation you and I had, I think we, it was like a little coffee chat because folks had been connecting us and we ended up talking for days about the first-gen experience. And I was like, I need to have this guy on my podcast. <laughs> so thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a amazing. And the, the fact that this is my first podcast, I wouldn't have it any other way than being here with yourself. So gracias, amiga, for the invitation. And yeah, I'm excited for the conversation. So let's go. Yes. And you have like a dope podcast voice, I feel like. I feel like <laughs> La Mia, like there, there needs to be some practice, but like you have the what do you call it? You know that station that used to play the oldies? I forgot what the, the name yeah, of that yeah, was, yeah. but that's, yeah, that's yeah. your vibe. That's your vibe. That's that's funny because, you know, as a kid, like I remember like riding around with my parents like late at night and then the DJ comes on. It's like, this is 103.5 smooth jazz and something like that. And I was just like, I just remember as a kid being like, I don't know what that is, but I want to sound like that. So, you know, people oh, have wow. told me throughout the oh. years, like, you know, you should do some voice acting and stuff like that. But it's one of those things I'm like, yeah, if I can do it, I would love to. So, so thanks. Yeah, thanks I'm sure. That. I'm sure everyone's listening right now. Like, who is Lester? Because his voice <laughs> is just like made for radio. But I, I want to start with the first question that I start every podcast episode with. And that is, how do you identify and why? How do I identify? Well, I identify as a first gen Latino male. Pronouns he, him, his, el también, right? I was throwing in the Spanish in there. And um, really, for me, the reason I identify that way is because it's it's part of the story, part of my, you know, just part of the identity that I've been able to really embrace and learn and accept throughout these years. Um, and at the same time, continue to learn. And through the more that I learn, the more that I go through life, 
it's one of those things, the more I start to either add or celebrate or, uh, you know, uh, transform some of my identity experiences as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to jump into that. I'm like bookmarking that. <laughs> I, I love to start with not your story, but the story that brought you to the U.S. I think the beautiful thing about being first gen is that so much of our story is rooted in that immigration, right? It's rooted in our parents, nuestros abuelos coming from their countries, or even us immigrating if we were immigrants ourselves to this country. And that's where not the story begins, but the chapter begins of just the first gen experience. So I'm curious for you, where did that immigration story start? And talk to us about what that story is, if you know it. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to. Well, I'm a proud son of two Nicaraguense parents. So both my parents immigrated here Centro-Americanos, from Nicaragua. Centroamericanos. There eh. you go. I guess that We got to represent, right? All the way. Got so, to. yeah, both of my parents immigrated here from Nicaragua. Um, it was one of those things where they didn't really have a choice. There's a civil war going on in Nicaragua at the time. And from the stories that I've heard from my parents, it's just, it was, it was definitely one of those things that like, man, your life should be a movie. You know, like I remember my dad told me that he left the day before his high school graduation ceremony. And he never actually got to see his high school diploma until about three years ago. And he's been in the U.S. for over 30 years now. And it was one of those things where it's just like you, you hear these stories. But so my dad left. He fled the war because he, he was about to be drafted in, went to Mexico, lived there for four years, and then was able to uh, make it to the U.S. My mom, um, sorry for context, my dad was like a country boy in Nicaragua. He lived in a village. Uh, spent most of his days out in the wilderness playing around. Always told me stories and things like that about like the animals he would come across, all these crazy things. My mom grew up like in the actual city, dirt, dirt poor. And I mean like legit dirt poor. I actually got to, the first time I went to Nicaragua, I, I visited the, the plot of dirt where she lived. Like it was eye-opening to me. And she, she made it to the U.S. and my parents met at a party. They, uh, they got invited to, you know, one of those family, family fiestas. And from the story, the story goes that my mom, my mom was with my aunt at the time. They were just chilling, uh, sitting at a table. And then when my dad walked in and my mom literally looked at my dad, she looked at my aunt and told him he's mine. And she went up to him and the rest is history. Now, you know, they spent over 25 years married and, you know, Later on, they had myself, the two brothers, and then just kind of like the family started expanding from there. Aunts, uncles, you know, the village, the, the, you know, one of the things I love about our culture is that even though we have these individual stories, it's also a communal story, right? So it's like, it's the story of my family, but it involves so many of my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, you know, family friends that are not blood, but their family still, you know, so. You know, fast forward up till now, like we we're here and we're thriving, thankfully, thank God. And, you know, trying to do the best that we can to give back and at the same time continue to advance the cause. So like estamos. I guess estamos. I love your mom for that. <laughs> She's like, that's mine. And the fact that she went for it, I I love that energy and I love that like Latina vibe <laughs> of just you know like I'ma get it. I'ma get it. But I I love this story for so many reasons because he touched on something that I feel 
is important to expand on a little bit, and it's the war, the civil war that was happening in Nicaragua. One thing that I love about this podcast and the people who are on it is this education around why immigration happens. It's sometimes for for refuge, it's sometimes because of politics happening in the country, or sometimes because of poverty. And I want to, if you're comfortable with it, if you want to share some knowledge around what happened in Nicaragua and just... Let me tell you, I think Nicaragua is one of the most resilient countries that exists in Latin America because of what it's been through just year after year, decade after decade. So I'd love for you to just kind of paint some context and have a little of, of an educational moment with the audience on what happened in Nicaragua and why these immigrants came. Yeah, I would love to. You know, as we were listening, I got to listen a little bit of your story. And even I know you dove deep into your own history, your own you know knowledge about your culture, where you came from. So it was, it was really cool to hear that because I did something similar. Uh, these past few years, I dove deep into the history of Nicaragua, specifically because we even, I helped start a nonprofit with a friend of mine to do some work down there. But the, the history of Nicaragua, like back, like I would say the 1950s, even before that, Nicaragua was like the center of, well, physically the center of Central America, but it was like the hub. Everything was golden in Nicaragua. Every, it was like one of the most wealthiest and thriving countries in Central America. But as always, there was always this political strife, a lot of back and forth. And we had some some dictators come through, some government powers come through, and they just kind of started uh, erupting and it just war after war after war. So there was a lot of periods of just a lot of civil war, a lot of civil unrest. And what ended up happening is that during the time, like as, as time progressed, especially like in the 1950s with, you know, the Cold War, Russia, US, these global superpowers started getting involved within the country. So you had like the Russia backing up one side of the, of the Nicaraguan, the Nicaraguenses, you have the US backing another side of the, of the Nicaraguenses, right? And essentially became this thing, this power struggle of like, hey, we're going to make Nicaragua a battlefield, but we don't really care about your people. And whoever ended up winning, they would be the ones in power. They would be the ones pulling the resources. And then afterwards, you know, when that didn't work out, when the people had enough, another civil war would it up and the, the sides would switch. So now where you had Russia backing up one, one side, now the U.S. was backing that side. You had U.S. backing original side, now Russia's backing that side. It was just this constant back and forth. And throughout the years, because of all the fighting, because of all the the involvement of just different po powers, the people left, uh, especially like in the 80s, Nicaragua was always almost deserted by by its own people because they just, they, it was just, it left the country so torn up. A lot of people don't know this, but originally the Panama Canal was actually meant to be built in Nicaragua because ge geographically it just works out a little bit better because of the of the systems of the lakes and stuff. And with all the powers that were happening, with all the wars that were happening, that actually took that opportunity away. If that would have happened, then Nicaragua wouldn't wouldn't be where it is right now. It's actually one of the most poorest countries in the world. And even though it's faced a lot, I love what you said. It's very resilient because it's true. Like through all the wars that they faced, all the political powers that they faced, all the intervention that they faced, they still come out the other side, you know, with hope with love with kindness you go down there and people treat you with so much kindness and care they're very grateful and yeah i got a chance to to travel back there earlier this year in april and i got a chance to do a, a workshop 
on some leadership stuff. And I remember just sitting there listening to the people's stories and remind, like listening to my parents' stories and things like that. And it just kind of hit me and I'm just like, you guys have the spirit of resilience. You guys have the spirit of, of revolutionaries. You guys have the spirit that continues to allow you to keep going. And the greatest part is that we get to carry that same spirit on. Like these are the, these are the, the same spirit of our ancestors, the things that they've learned gets passed on to us. We get to continue that. And the more that we thrive, we're able to come back and really re rebuild, give back and invest in, in the things that oftentimes, you know, don't get a chance to just because of circumstances beyond our control. I that's so beautiful because I was just going to ask you how how do you make sense of your history and what you've learned about Nicaragua how do how do you make sense of that in your present moment in your in your life now because as you were explaining I'm like this kind of sounds like Lester <laughs> right <laughs> and so how do you how do you make sense of that history when it comes to just your experience as a first gen Latino Yeah yeah you know well one I love history. I love learning the stories of how everything came to be, where we came from, and finding meaning out of it. It really is all about perspective and what you do with it. And sometimes the reality can be very, very difficult and very hard. But we always have the choice whether to let, how we're going to let that define us and how we're going to let that shape us, right? So when I hear the story of Nicaragua, you hit it dead on. I, I see the spirit of resilience. It's just like, okay, well, how do I carry on that resilience into the things that I do now, right? When I'm faced with things at work that may not be as big as wars or, you know, poverty or all these other things, but they, they do add stress to my life or they are challenging. I'm like, well, if they could face that resilience, I can do this too, right? When I'm facing situations, especially as first gen, I mean, we've talked about this. We live first gen lives. It's not just about first gen college student or first gen here in America, but like you, you're navigating, we're navigating so many firsts and that takes a resilience that, you know, that we have to learn and embody from the people that came before us. Right. So listening to those stories, those characters, the people involved, the lessons that they learned, it's, it's, uh, I love to just soak it all up and then decide, okay, what, how do I learn from this and what do I apply to my life? to make sure that we're always moving forward, right? That yes, we look back, but we're always moving forward and making sure that we're advancing uh, the culture, the people, because this really is a community thing. Somos familia, es el pueblo, es el pueblo. Uh, it's a pueblo out here, a hundred percent. Speaking of just your first generation experience, one thing that I explore a lot in the podcast is being a first gen Latina woman. And I talk a lot about it what that feels like, what that looks like. And now I want to talk about being a first-gen Latino man and what that experience looks like. And I, I always say anytime I talk about just the first-gen Latina experience, I'm like, that's not to say that men don't experience their own thing. This is what women experience. And so I feel lucky enough and lucky enough now to have the platform with you <laughs> to talk about your experiences as a man, as a first-gen Latino, as a Latino man and how you've navigated that experience. I mean, for for 30, however, sorry, 20, 20 years of life. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. No, I mean, oh, I love that. I love this topic. It is definitely one of my passions. And, and I think we've talked about that before, especially working with 
black and brown men, it is near and dear to my heart, you know. So before, before what I used to do in terms of career, I worked with first generation college students and it was one of those things because I was always in it. Like it was a, a day to day thing. I was always immersed in it. And so it, this was a constant thing that I was always thinking about, but I also got to see the beauty of both experiences, right? Like I know my first gen Latina women are killing it, like in education and their careers, you know, right now in Hispanic heritage month, you know, I didn't even know this, that of the, like the, the businesses that are starting like in, in the U S the fastest, you know, small businesses that are starting popping up one in five of them are Latinas. So literally Latinas are leading the way in creating small oh, businesses, oh, right? Sad. Like, come on. <laughs> right. And like, even yourself, right. Like even starting this podcast and the, and during COVID and getting to the places where you're at now, I saw the interview. Come on, come on. I mean, I saw the interview with, there you uh, go. See, <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, there's, there's the beauty of those experiences. And at the same time, like, yeah, I've, I have been able to see the differences between men and women, like, and as, as a first gen Latino male, it comes with a responsibility. It comes with a responsibility and an opportunity. And the responsibility is, you know, how to, it's, it's very similar to, uh, nuestras hermanas, right? Like, how do we, how do we make sure that everybody's thriving, that the community, the pueblo, la familia is moving forward? How do you continue to advance and grow? to be the best person that you can be, to go up as high as you can be, you know, to be able to get to a place of influence and be able to enact change, right? And at the same time, it's an opportunity and a responsibility to look back and see, man, what are the, what are the things that we need to change, right? Like as a first-gen Latino male, like machismo's a thing. And that's something that, you know, is embedded in, in, in a lot of nuestra cultura como Latinos. It's just like machismo's a thing. Like I remember my dad, I love my dad. He's a great guy, but this is one of those things I'm like, okay, I, I, I see some things that, you know, need, they need to change. I remember him telling me like, when I started dating, he's like, I never want you to come and tell me that you're dating, you know, XYZ woman. I want you to date a Mexican woman. And I'm like, why? That was just so random. I'm like, why? So like, because Mexican women are very embedded in their culture and they know how to serve a man. And I remember just sitting there and I'm like, what the hell? Like, wow. Okay. Like that is a, that is a statement right there. But I remember sitting there and thinking of my mom at that moment and just being like, nah, I refuse that. Like I refuse to take that. And it was one of those things that throughout the years I've learned to really identify those things within myself. You know, and there's always shadow sides, but identify those things within myself and what can we need to change, right? Then you also have the aspects of like, as a, as a man, there's the, the roles sometimes that get put, get put on you as a Latino, right? Like you're the oldest. If you're the oldest, well, that comes with responsibilities, right? I'm the oldest of my siblings. I have two younger brothers. I'm the oldest of all my primos, my cousins. So that, that comes with the thing. El ejemplo, and, uh, right? El ejemplo, right? It's just, you know, because I've had the chance to go to college, get an education, get a master's, you know, now we work in tech, we work in corporate, right? Like all these other things. It just continues to go up and up and up. And with that comes more responsibility, more of these things. It's just like, man, how do you navigate this? Like, how do you, like, what, what do I do? Because a lot of times people are like, oh, you know what you're doing. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm just following the next thing. Like, I don't know. And, and there is a, there is a pressure sometimes because just like, how am I supposed to 
like balance my life and at the same time care for others. You know, like, yes, I have dreams of being able to help my family out. But at the same time, I got to I got to realize I'm like, if I'm going to start a family in my own one day, which is it is something I want. How am I going to balance that? Right. As in the role that I have as a guy, as a male. And then to look around and see that there are some of us out here and at the same time, there's there's not enough of us out here as Latino men. Like within education, higher education, black and brown men are actually all the way at the bottom. They really are. And there's no shame in, in what I'm about to say. Like a lot of black and brown men head, head into roles that are a little bit more geared towards like the technical aspects, like electricians, plumbers. It was great. We need all that stuff. And at the same time, we also need more men in leadership positions, men who are educated, men who are passionate, men who can contribute and influence in the world in variety of different ways because the representation matters and there's not a lot of us out here. So at times I'm looking around and I see my Latinas, my, my hermanas killing it. And I'm like, that's great. I'm like, that's great. We can talk, we can relate. Right. And I'm also sitting there and just like, but where are my brothers at? Like, <laughs> you know, donde están mis hermanos? So it, it is a little bit, sometimes a little bit of like a, a lonely experience because you're trying to navigate all these things. Not everyone's ready to talk about it. You're trying to change even a little bit of, of the masculine norms, the culture, um, the roles, all that stuff. And when you're in the front lines, you, you know, opposition comes, challenge comes. And it's just like, all right, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that? So kind of going all over the place, but even for me personally, navigating all of that has been, it's been tough. There are moments where it's just like there's feelings of loneliness, there's feelings of just like, am I the only one? Have I gotten this wrong? Would it be better to just conform to whatever masculine norm role thing is out there? Because then it would be easier to find belonging. But then I see the 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 toxicity that sometimes these things can bring, these roles can bring, these these thoughts and patterns can bring, these mindsets can bring that haven't benefited us as men or women. Right. Or, or however we identify, they haven't just benefited us. Right. And I see the damage it causes. I see the, the hard things and I'm like, no, we got to continue to change. The battle is worth it. It's hard. Uh, there's lots of tears. There's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of work. There's everything that goes into it, but we got to continue to move forward if we're going to continue to grow and be the best people that we can be because it's worth it. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking even systemically how much black and brown men get targeted, marginalized, et cetera. Not to say women don't experience it, but black and brown men, I mean, there's a different level of of things to deal with. And when I when I say things, I mean the first example that comes to my head is, you know, I, I grew up in a community that was low income, a lot of poverty. It was it was ghetto, it was the hood, right? And it was the best place to grow up but me and my brothers had very different experiences in school where they were always tested they were always people were always pulling their card they were always ready to fight they were always ready to defend they were always ready to brawl right whereas me i'll be i'll keep it real like i never fought in school <laughs> there was a few times where i got close but te digo algo i had a lot of friends male friends that always had my back and they were always the ones that were like, nah, you ain't, you ain't touching her. Like, me pongo por medio. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and 
that was my experience growing up and where I grew up. Like my brothers, I saw them go into fights. I saw them post fights with all their their blue eyes, their their fat lip. Like I saw that growing up and I thought, thank God I'm not a man because I don't want to deal with that. And I, that's a real thing. So I'm curious from your perspective, Lester, of like how much, how much story, systemic stories are there behind why there is lack of Latino, Black, first-gen men in the spaces that you're in? I mean, you know, the the history, right? It wasn't built for people like us. That's, that's one, right? Even from the beginning, it was never built with us in mind. And throughout the years, even though we were, we had a fight just to get in. You know, you have these court cases and, you know, I live down here in Southern California, uh, Westminster versus, uh, I forget the person's name, but it's the one that allowed Hispanic Latinos to go into Orange County schools. And it's the one that pre- the preceded Black versus, or Brown versus the Board of Education, right? Like we've, we've always had a fight to be in these spaces. We've always had a fight to just get in, to be represented, to be cared for, to be noticed, right? And as a man, sometimes it's just like, man, like, where's the respect? Like if you, because it wasn't built for people like us, because we weren't kept in mind it's almost like it's a systemic disrespect that's always in your face that's always there and you as a man you try so hard like respect means so much to us because it's not it's not an ego thing it's not just a pride thing but it's really as i see you as a human being and i see you in all of who you are your emotions your your knowledge your your personality everything and so there is a is a it's a systemic disrespect because it's it's we're not acknowledged for the human beings that we are. We're just we're a thing, you know, for so many people. And then once you're in it, you have to constantly fight the temptation to continue being who you are as a Latino male, right? We're loud, we're joking, you know, we 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 bring the flavor, we we're just ourselves, right? But then there's also that temptation to assimilate because that's how you advance. It's how you grow. You know, if, if I talk certain things, then I'm going to continue to move forward. But it's just like, no, I, you know, I was, I was with uh, my cousin of mine and one of my only guy cousins actually. And we were just laughing, having a good time. And we was telling him a little bit now about the place that I work in. And he's just like, so when you talk to people, do you, do you, uh, like, do you talk to them differently? Cause me and him were just like, oh yeah, this is, you know, like I, I say this all the time, even in these spaces that I'm like, man, what up homie? Like what's going on? And like, whatever, like. <laughs> and people think it's funny that I use the word homie, I use the word foo, I use the word like all this slang that I throw in Spanish in there. And he tells me like, do you, do you talk differently? And I'm like, I do. I use, I use my white voice. I use my business voice. I use my professional voice, right? But it's because I've learned in these spaces, just like if you stick out, you know, you won't get that respect. If you, if you are different, the chances of getting that respect as an individual, as a person, go down and uh it is it is a fight that you have to that you have to face within yourself to not not let that define you not let that you know go out and the temptation here the the tension i should say is how do you continue being yourself and how do we redefine professionalism to include all of who we are right and i know we've we've uh that part. Exp- yeah yeah right we've seen those conversations i know what you and plural are doing man you guys are doing like you know doing some amazing things in that because we need to continue. These stories are everywhere. We're, we're constantly getting stereotyped. 
just because of the way that we look. Like I had a buddy of mine who was a director, always in a suit, always dressed up in a suit, really professional, one of the most nicest guys you ever meet. And he went to uh, he went to a reception desk one area and he's just like, someone asked him, are you the janitor? Are you the gardener? Just simply because of the way he looked, because he's a, he's brown. And it's, it's one of those things just, and he looked at him and he's just like, no, I'm not. You know, he was very nice about it, but it, later on we were talking and he, you know, he would tell him, he's just like, yeah, the disrespect that we're constantly facing. Like these stories are real. Like we're, to see someone like us with our skin tone, with our skin color up in these spaces is, is different because right away people notice it. Like I, I've had experiences, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, like where I've, I've been uh, followed and seen in parking lots because of the way that I look. I remember one time people thought that I was going to steal a car just because I looked the way that I look. I've had people look at me a certain way just because it's just like, oh, you you know, you're you're brown, so you must know something like this, right? You you must know certain things. You must be handy. You must be I'm like I know certain things, but it's just not because of the way that I look, right? It's not right. just because of my background. So these stories that are always there, that have been there, do shape us and they get to us, right? But we have that choice whether or not we're going to let that really define us or if we're going to get a chance to define ourselves and also influence the next generation and make make way for the next generation of men so that they can thrive, right? So our communities can thrive um, right. and that they don't have to face this. You know, one thing that I, I can't stop thinking about what you were saying about systemic disrespect, like that, I feel like that's the most hurt thing you could say, like, you know like just give me respect <laughs> and i feel like that's that is what so many men in my life personally were chasing is just like treat me as a human being like respect me and i ooh, i just like that thing is like printed in my mind it's like systemic disrespect because <laughs> it's so real one thing that i was thinking about as you were talking was you know redefining professionalism and this like cognitive dissonance that happens with us of like survival in the hood meant something very different than survival in corporate like yeah yeah <laughs> i'm like oh you cursing to me in corporate i have to learn how to like defend myself <laughs> in corporate too you know what i mean per my but, last email per my last email, <laughs> my oh instead of saying my bitch you have to be like oh, okay all right. right um but you there's just this like weird oh, like it's this cognitive dissonance of like oh the way our brains work and it, it reminds me so much of what our parents had to go through. And it's very, very different than what we experienced. But thinking of my parents, like what did their cognitive dissonance feel like when they were in this country that was home, that was theirs, they knew the language, the culture, everything was Hondureño, you know, everything was Honduras to this country where it's a melting pot of a lot of different cultures, but you're also navigating a culture you don't know, a different language, a different way of living. I can't even imagine what that feels like, but in my situation, in my experience, and probably yours too, like our survival and our mechanisms that we learned in the hood were very different than what we we're experiencing today. And there, there's still even like a moment for me where I think of, damn, I went to school for four years. I am making so much more money than my parents have made in their lifetime. And I'm sitting behind a desk while my dad was working construction like yep. on a ladder and my mom was cleaning houses, like just the, just the mind fuckery that happens with that. Like what? Like that oh, yeah. 
it's just crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy to me. It's crazy to me. But I was thinking about this moment of redefining professionalism, navigating these corporate waters. One of my friends told me about wearing a gold chain. He's like, I can't wear my gold chain. I can't wear my gold chain at work. I can't, I can't do it. And I was like, why? Why not? For context, he works in real estate. He works in a very, very white dominated place. He's like, I, I'm already that only black kid on the block. I can't wear my gold chain on top of that. And I was like, you, you can, you can, you can. He walked in into his office with his gold chain and he said, he calls me after and he's like, yo, no one says shit about my chain. <laughs> And I was like, do you see how in our own heads we get about, and even if they do say anything, like, how did you feel walking in there with your gold chain and reclaiming that respect and that part of you that is part of who you are? And I was telling this story at an event during Hispanic Heritage Month, the one I, when I got hired for, and I was telling this story about the gold chain. I kid you not, Lester, while I'm telling this story, there's a man on Zoom who literally takes out his gold chain and puts it over his shirt. And ah. I was just like, Oh, right there. That's it was, beautiful. it was a moment. It was a moment because how often Dang. do we get these stories of people running against the current of what professionalism is supposed to look like? And how often do our people step up and say, you know what? I'm gonna wear the gold chain or I'm gonna wear my big hoops or I'm gonna wear my long nails with diamonds all over it. Like how often do we get these narratives and stories? where we can really just be ourselves in this space and have the equal amount of respect. Like, the stories matter. The representation matters. The stories matter. The represent. I mean, you know, this, this past year, one of the things that I've been really thinking about is the phrase that keeps coming to mind is grounding myself in my identity and power. And where the reason I say that is because kind of like the story of the chain, right? I realized one day, I'm like, why can't I send, it was something so small, but why can't I, at the end of an email, I always say, thanks, thanks, you know, comma, and then my name, right? <laughs> why can't I say gracias? I'm like, why can't I? Like, who, who said that I can't do that? So I just, I started doing it. I started opening up my emails with hola or, you know, something, something in Spanish. I started incorporating more and more Spanish. And it was one of those things kind of like the gold chain is just like, I'm just going to be me because here's the reality. If people can consume my culture everywhere that they go, then they can definitely respect and learn about my culture wherever I go. If you could say the, the, the names of Starbucks, you know, grande, venti, if you could say these Spanish words throughout your everyday life, then you could definitely make the effort to understand what it means in these corporate spaces, right? So grounding ourselves in that power of our identity and then bringing it to these spaces to, as you said, reclaim that, to be proud of that, to allow, to create those spaces for ourselves and others so that they can be themselves and let their light shine and see the beauty of who they are, their culture, their families, their stories. That's, that's the thing right there. That's the goal. That's the cause. That's the right? thing. That's, that's the thing so. right there. And, you know, I, the stories matter. And, and the reason I, I want to bold and italicize that is because I was recently, I just saw my best friend after, you know, she's had her baby, she's been busy and, and she was talking about going back to work because she works for a big tech company. And she told me, she's like, 
the people on your podcast, you just like, y'all have inspired me to walk onto campus and and be 110% me. And and previously, and shout out to my girl, I love you, girl. She talked about her fear of being a young mother, a young brown mother. She's half black, half Mexican, I think a quarter Guamania. She's a little bit of everything. She has a little <laughs> bit of everything, all the sessones. Yeah. But she... Talk that's about a full spice rack right there. <laughs> full spice. That's what I told her. I was like, you a little bit everything. But she she talked about this fear of like being a young mother, of being a statistic, of being a stereotype in their minds, because she was working on a team that weren't they didn't look like her. They didn't come from the same backgrounds as her. Also first gen. And she said, you know, she's been there for four years, and this is the first time she's walked on campus feeling a hundred percent herself. She's like, you know, like came back from mat leave and she's like, I'm going to walk in there, be totally me. And she's like, and I walk with a little like ump in my step. You know, she's like, I walk with a little more confidence. I, I, I like talk with a little more confidence. And I'm like, that's the difference that people don't talk about. It's, it's less about make space for me. I'm more of like, you're going to be happy once you make space for me because I can be 110% myself. I can be more confident in meetings. I can be more confident in my emails. I can be more. I can walk with a little more sasson, right? I can walk mm-hmm. around with a little more umph in my set because that's what being yourself and claiming yourself and being, like you said, rounded in your identity, that's what that brings you is a sense of exactly. security in yourself. And it doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter whether you say homie or you say dude. Like it, All that matters is that you're coming in here being 100% you and doing amazing work that only you can do. And so- it just feels like we're slowly as a culture moving toward that a little a little bit closer, right? Like little by little, paso a paso. But exactly. I think it also comes with education for people to learn how to consume all that space we're taking up. Because I think that's that's part of it. And it's it's one of those things like we just want a piece of the pie. We don't have we don't want your whole pie. Like yeah. we just want a piece of it. Like make space for me. But it it takes time and I think we're as a culture, doing better on that. So our stories make a difference. Go wear that gold chain, y'all. Go be your husband. <laughs> yes. Go say homie. Say gracias. Say siempre. Say all Always. the things in an email. You know, wear wear those wear those things. Wear wear what you gotta wear. Be who you gotta be. Say what you gotta say. I mean, all these things. You know, I know that the message is just like always be fully yourself. And I know that the temptation is just like, nah, no, nah, I really can't. But yeah, you can. If we have the courage and the resilience to do it, trust. And you you said it dead on, mi amiga. Like, you feel better. You feel better. You feel yourself. And you are shining. And that's the way that, that's the that's what we were created to do, is to shine through and be fully ourselves. So, amen to that. Life's a little Preach. more fun. Life's a little more fun Life's that a way lot too. more fun, yep. <laughs> I'm like, it's 40 hours of your week. Do you really want to not be yourself? Right? Like, that's just exhausting. Like, it, life is way better when you get to just be a hundred percent yourself. And there's, and I won't lie, there's moments where I'm like, do I want to show all the all the flavor right now? And then I'm like, you know what? Why not? Why not? This is the moment. And it's a it's a daily practice to be a hundred percent you when we're conditioned to not to not to that not being okay. Like we're conditioned that that's that behavior is like unprofessional or that behavior is not okay. It's it's a constant unlearning and consistent 
daily practice, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Little by little. I have so many more questions for you, but I realize I feel like I took up most of this time talking about your experience, no. which I love. And I wanna I wanna ask you one last question before we go into our, our grafficito and chisme. But I think you're doing amazing things right now for the community, for a lot of black and brown first gen men, first gen Latinos, Latinas, first gen folks in general. Can you explain in your experience what does first generation mean? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> Being first gen to me in my experience means, you know, oh man, it's so deep. Being first gen, it means, it means, it means living. Oh man. Yeah, you hit me deep on that one. Embodying, embodying the stories and the beauties of where we come from and living that out courageously. That's what, that's what it means to me. Embodying, you know, the stories and experiences of where we come from and living that out courageously. Because really, in, in that title, right, being the first to do something, you're stepping into unknown places. You're stepping into things that you may have no experience in. You're, you're trying out new things that with little guidance at times or alone, you're, you're going to take that risk to wear the thing, to say the thing, to be yourself. But when you really look back and you appreciate where you come from, you know the story, you know the history, you're able to take all of that and apply it to your life and live that out and celebrate it and really let it impact you. Then you're able to find what you need to move forward and, and do it. And once, once you do it, you're going to realize, dang, I can't, I can do it. And I can do it again and I can do it again, you know? So to me, it's, it's the merging of the past, the future, the past into the present so that you can impact the future, you know? So. I knew I was like, one, one of my things that I'm practicing <laughs> is allowing, allowing silence. And I was like, I know he's going to come up with something amazing. So I'm going to keep it silent. I'm going to keep it silent. One last question for you, I lied. One last question for you. How can Latina women show up for our hermanos, the men in our lives? How can we show up for our, our first-gen men? Remember, we're human too. Remember, we're human too, that we don't have. In the culture, it's very easy, especially as a man, to pretend that you have it all figured out when we really don't because we're conditioned to not be vulnerable. We're conditioned to not show that those vulnerabilities, that weakness, we, we have to have it all together. We have to know the answer, all these things. And I know that my Latina woman can relate to that as well. But remember that that's also part of our experiences. Even if we don't show it, it doesn't mean that we're not feeling it. It doesn't mean that we're not experiencing it. We are. So remember we're human too. Allow and if a man is really safe and honest with you, and allow and is able to really pour out his heart to you that way that's a that's a blessing that's a privilege and let's care for each other in the best way with that you know it goes both ways so there's a, there's a lot more that's a huge passion topic so dang it but yeah i would <laughs> say with that 
Oh, we can have a we can have a part two all about that. Oh, how let's can do we it. show up? Let's because <laughs> I I think that's really important, right? We talk about how do we show how does the world show up for us, but I think how do we show up for each other? How do we Latino men show up for Latina women, vice versa? Yeah, 100%. And I love that you said we're human too. So thank you for that. And to all the Latinas listening, let's show up for our men who Yes, please. Have a lot of systemic disrespect and we can we can help show up for them. Thank you, Lester. I want to go into our, our brief, Cafecito and Chisme, okay. where we talk about what are you up to now and how can people connect with you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So right now I'm in the process actually of starting my own podcast, actually. People have told me with the voice thing, it's just like, well, you know what? Let me give it a try. I don't know if it's going to take off. I don't know what's going to happen. That podcast you know voice, though, he got right? it. <laughs> I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. And really, it's kind of going to be focused on the things that we're talking about is specifically with black and brown men. And it's called it's going to be called Ola Rey. And a little bit of a quick story with that. Uh, it came from my dad. My dad greets myself and my brothers. And I didn't notice this until this past year. He always calls us Rey. It was just a nickname that he just thing, right? And then, but every time I go up to him, he's like, Ola Rey, como estás? And so to me, I'm like, why did I why did I not realize that my dad has always been speaking identity, power, truth, and love to me? And when that hit me, I'm like, all right, we gotta do that for other guys too. We gotta do this for the men in our lives too. So you know, a little bit to come. And then working with a nonprofit right now to do some work in Nicaragua, providing education, social services, community development programs. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Instagram, El Larios116 and you know, if there's ways to get involved, I'm always here to serve as well, volunteer. I love to give back and just do whatever I can to continue helping out, you know, nuestra cultura, nuestra familia, el pueblo, but anybody else who who's a part of this journey as well. So, yeah. Snaps for all the things that you're doing. And yeah, we'll be the first to listen. I already know for <laughs> Hola Rey, which I love, 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 love that your dad called y'all that. I want to do our closing, our brindis, and so I have my cafecito conmigo, and I want to do a virtual cheers with you where I give you the space to say what you want to manifest for our Latino community and what you want to cheers to. So, take it away. All right. You know, here's no salud for nuestra, nuestro pueblo, nuestra familia, you know, many blessings, many health, you know, flourishing thriving this year, opportunities, adventures, life, joy, laughter, all the good things to come in this year. Because really, the more that we could soak that up and the more that we can give that back out into the world, that's uh, that's the greatest gift that we can have. So, Salud, amigo. Thank you for being Salud. here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As always, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to these episodes. Go connect with Lester right now on Instagram at LLarios116 and find him on LinkedIn. And huge moment of love, gratitude, y respeto to all my first-gen men, Latino men, black and brown men. We see you. We love y'all. And as a first-gen Latina, una mujer, I promise to do my part to continue showing up for y'all. Come through next week for more Cafecito and Chisme for all Hella Latino updates. Follow Hella Latino Podcast on Instagram. My personal Instagram is also up the grabs. Follow me at ojazz04as and find me on LinkedIn. For more insight, more info, visit my website, olalisjasmine.com. Y como siempre, con mucho amor, tu amiga Nureña. <laughs>